Leslie Vernick knows what it's like to be in a difficult and destructive relationship. Her own life experience is why she is so committed to helping others who find themselves in similar situations. Now, this morning on My Bridge, we are revisiting a conversation with this Christian counselor and relationship coach. Leslie, welcome back to the Morning Conversation. So good to be with you. Yeah, so it's been a little bit since we've kind of hung out here in the Morning Conversation, so glad to have you back. And there's, I'm sure, many in the My Bridge Radio family that didn't hear the first time that we had you on. So would like to just hear a little bit about how you came to fall in love with Jesus. I grew up in a broken home. And my mom left my father when I was eight years old. And that was when single families were rare. And I was the only kid in my school that was coming from a divorced home. She was very anti faith. Uh, She was rebelling against everything my father's family stood for. And as she left the marriage, you know, she was very antagonistic. So I didn't grow up with faith. But when I was 14 years old, my father got custody of us because of my mother's drinking and her abusive behavior. So we went to live with him and he was, you know, remarried. He was in church every week and, you know, from not going to church at all and never hearing about that, I had to go to church and I did not like it at first. But on a winter retreat, I remember, you know, the speaker talking about sin and I had plenty of sin already, 14 years old. And I knew what he was talking about. And I just wanted that feeling of forgiveness. And I remember asking Jesus into my heart and making commitment to him at that time. And, you know, just because you accept Jesus in your life doesn't mean you're a healthy person, (laughs) but grew and loved him ever since. When you made that first commitment and and the light bulb came on for you, you made your expression of faith. What were some initial things that were like, man, I'm becoming a different person? You know, instead of living for pleasure, which most teenagers are doing. It's not that I didn't want to have fun, but I already felt that there was a higher purpose to my life and that certain pleasures that I might partake in could rob me of that purpose. And so I was mindful. So my eyes were open to a bigger worldview, a bigger picture for my life. What happened then is I began to actually study at school, which I don't even remember going to eighth grade. Um, I don't remember my teacher. I don't remember anything about anything I learned. So in high school, I began to apply myself and study. And I actually got a scholarship to college. I had goals. I began to have different kinds of relationships, both with girls and boys, you know, just, you know, not just fun and fooling around and even being cruel to people, which is what I would do earlier, those things didn't appeal to me anymore. And I didn't want that. And I didn't want that happening to me and really began to care for the underdog and the oppressed and all of those kind of things that wouldn't have been naturally my temperament. And so I just felt like God was really moving me in, in very specific ways. Leslie, you are an author, you're a counselor, you're a coach. Describe your ministry a little bit to us. So I, those are kind of titles, but uh, how would you kind of get at kind of that core calling of who Leslie is and, and how God's kind of positioned her to impact lives? You know, so when I was in college, of course, math was not my strong suit. So I knew that wasn't going to be <laughs> <laughs> the area of expertise. Loved reading, loved people, loved psychology. And I thought I I was going to be either a worker with younger children because of my abusive background, or I was going to work as a probation officer. That's kind of where I saw myself moving with people and did a lot of work with children and found that that was not my gifting. I didn't like working with children and it wasn't something that was fulfilling. It was exhausting. Became a Christian counselor and then my own issues came up. So here I am, a Christian counselor way back in you know the 80s and My mother and I still couldn't have a relationship. We still couldn't get along. I was married. I had children. She was mean to me. She was mean to my kids. 
Do I trust her with my ch children? No, but I'm supposed to honor my mother. And how do we navigate that? And the boundaries book hadn't been written yet. You know, none of the talk about destructive relationships. It was just you were to give forgiveness and grace. And, and those were the language that I knew, but I knew that didn't work with her. And so I really struggled, even though professionally I had some answers as a counselor, what she could do to get herself better. She wasn't interested in doing it. And so I didn't know how to navigate that relationship personally. And so that really made me curious about what God's word, I learned psychology, but what did God's word have to say about broken relationships? Does every relationship get fixed? What if you can't, like Paul says, as much as it depends on you, be at peace with someone, but true peace isn't just giving into people. And so if you can't create a peaceful relationship with someone, is it okay to not have a relationship with that person, even if they're your mother. And so those were the, some of the battles that I was struggling with personally back, you know, a long time ago, 40 years ago. And I began to practice some of that in my counseling with some controversial results because, you know, back then you were supposed to reconcile with everybody. And it, sometimes that's just not possible. And I don't think Jesus says it's possible. Even he doesn't reconcile with everyone. And so why are we supposed to reconcile with everyone? And so really beginning to that journey of speaking up for the people who had been maybe mistaught that they had to suffer for Jesus in just and oppressive relationships, when in fact, maybe Jesus is asking them to stand up for themselves and resist in a good way. Leslie, in talking with you in the past, you know, we've really appreciated how you offer a biblical perspective and relationship issues that many of us face, right? So just curious, because there's lots of different trains of thoughts, even within the Christian community and wells that different Christian, even counselors would drink from. You've chosen to drink deeply from the wells of scripture. How did you come to that perspective? I'm sure from college, you were exposed to other theories and concepts. So how did you end up saying, I'm going to put my roots deeply into the word of God? You know, I was secularly trained. I went to university for graduate school, so there was no Christian slant on anything at all. Uh, in fact, one of my first big jobs as a clinical social worker was working in a mid-sized hospital and they had just passed Roe v. Wade and they wanted me to do the pre-psychosocial evaluation on all the women. So growing up in a secular environment and being educated in a secular environment, I'm like, well, I'm supposed to put my faith over here and I'm supposed to do my work over here and not let my values interfere with the other person. Um, try that on for size. That was pretty tough. And so as I did abortion counseling, and I had a lot of compassion for young women who found themselves with an unplanned pregnancy, but the Holy Spirit was like, what are you doing, girl? <laughs> and it was, you know, that conflict inside. And so I really found it hard to be neutral on areas that weren't neutral. I could be compassionate, but I couldn't be neutral. It really caused me to say, can I even do this work as a secular therapist? Can I give someone answers with not talking about Jesus? You know, that's like putting band-aids on wounds. And so I began to dig deep into scripture. What does the Bible have to say about these things? Because certainly if God cares about us and loves us and wants us to have good relationships, every single one of the 10 commandments has to do with relationships. And that's why we don't do those things because it hurts people and it hurts our relationship with God. And so certainly he has more wisdom in the word of God about this than I had learned previously. Leslie, this morning, we want to talk a little bit about the power of words, right? So both those that we speak and then responding to the words that get spoken back to us. We live in a culture right now where we're encouraged right, to express our feelings and 
hold nothing back. And there's lots of words flying around the world and the internet and social media and all the places right now, right? What do you see as the relational fallout that comes from just saying whatever we think? You know, I kind of liken it to vomit. It does feel better to vomit, but it belongs in the toilet. So, so yeah, sometimes we feel, you know, in Psalm 39, he felt so full of anger. He said, I have to put a muzzle on my mouth as long as the wicked are in my presence. And so, um, you know, David's expressed some restraint and the Bible tells us that our words are powerful. And it doesn't mean that we should never say hard words because hard words can be very healing words. When the doctor tells us, you know, you have pancreatic cancer and you have a short lifespan, those are really hard words, but they're not meant to harm us. They're meant to wake us up to the reality of where we are right now. And so I think as Christians, we have to learn to be able to speak hard words when necessary without making them harsh, harmful words, because the Bible tells us life and death is in the power of the tongue. And in the Old Testament and the New Testament, God cautions us against using our words recklessly or abusively. Leslie, as we're talking about just words that we speak. And, you know, I've had numerous conversations over the years with people after saying something harsh, (laughs) they say, I'm just being honest. So there's this thing of like, in the name of being honest, I have to say some things that end up being really hurtful to someone. And I know that there are times that we say things that are going to be feel painful, but they're right things to say, and we say them right, and it can still bring pain. But I'm thinking about those times where, from my perspective, sometimes in the name of being honest, we say some things and go some places that really wisdom may not agree with you. I think there's other categories to think about when we're talking about honesty. So if we are invited to give feedback to someone, if they're saying, hey, is this haircut look best on me? You know, then we may have to say honest and say, honestly, I think I've seen better on you. Um, It's not the best haircut for you. It's not bad, but it's not the best one. But if they're not asking specifically for feedback, maybe that's not your place to correct them, even if you're truthful about something. When I speak at women's retreats, I've often said, you know, how would you feel if someone came up to you and said, I think you have too much food on your plate. You're a little overweight. You shouldn't be eating all that food. I'm just being honest. You know, we haven't invited someone to give us feedback about our weight or our eating habits or those kind of things. And if we don't have a relationship with someone where we have that privilege, uh, it's probably better to keep our mouth shut because that's not going to be helpful for them. It's going to be hurtful and harmful to them. But I think that there's times when we are being honest, but I think what we're really saying is, thus saith the Lord, I'm right. I might see something a certain way. I'm just being honest, but it doesn't mean I'm right. And I might absolutely be wrong about something and still feel very strongly about it. I can be honest and not say what's on my mind. I think the Bible tells us to say things that are helpful to someone and honestly. So you don't want to lie to someone and be helpful. And if they're asking you for honest feedback, then you might have to be honest. Like when I'm writing my books, I'm thankful that my editors are honest and saying, these words aren't the best words, or this chapter doesn't fit here, or you know, lots of red ink on my paper, because they're helping me create what I want to create, which is a better book, right? So they're helping me grow into a better writer. But I'm asking for that feedback. I'm inviting that feedback. If someone just sends me a rotten email saying, you know, I think your book is terrible and you don't know how to spell and you don't know how to write, I'm not inviting that. And that's more hurtful and harmful. Like, what's their purpose? Leslie, we're talking about kind of our words and uh, kind of when it's appropriate to, when it's not appropriate to, what's the motive behind what we say and if we say anything. 
You know, I know, again, some other interactions I've had with people over the years. Sometimes people say things, and many of us are familiar with the kind of the phrase, I just need to get it off my chest. From my perspective, kind of the thought behind that or the the motive behind that is it helps me feel better. I need to get this off and I need to say this so that I feel better. That's like vomit. You know, you do need to feel better, right? And so, so what I would suggest to someone who feels that way is that you vomit on your journal, you vomit in prayer, you vomit in a place that's just between you and the Lord. And you go back a day or two later and you see, what is it about this? Do I feel better? Is this all I needed? I just needed to express myself. Nobody needed to hear it but me and the Lord. Or are there certain pieces of that? Let's say that you're extremely upset with your parents, or you're extremely upset with your mother, or you're extremely upset with your husband, and, and you feel like telling him off. You feel like telling him he's been lazy, and you're mad that he didn't do this, and he's disappointed you, and he's let you down, and all those kind of things. And there, there might be some real legitimacy to that. And so you're going to write all that down in your vomit voice and get it all out. And then what you want to think about is, what is the outcome I want to have? by telling this person this? Is the outcome reconciliation? Is the outcome I want them to hear me? Is the outcome that I want them to change? What's the outcome? If it's just, I want to feel better, you don't need them to do that. You just do that on your own. If the outcome is, I want to restore our relationship. I want this person to hear me so they repent. Then you have to be really careful with your words. Because you want them to receive those words and hear them from a heart of gentleness. The Bible tells us, for example, in Galatians 6.1, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. So coming at them with knives and swords of words, um, just because you will feel better, isn't going to necessarily produce an outcome for them that's helpful. And so asking yourself, what is the outcome? If it's just to feel better, you can do that all by yourself. Leslie, I remember a conversation I had with a friend of mine. Fortunately, we made it through what ended up being a foolish, unwise approach that I took. But anyway, I had something I need to be honest with him about. Thought, you know, he was a mature believer, like he can handle it, right? So I just kind of just gave it to him. I didn't, I wasn't trying to be harsh. I was just being direct and honest and wasn't trying to sugarcoat anything. But again, I wasn't, I wasn't overly harsh. And he reacted, got real defensive. And internally, I'm thinking, oh, I guess he's not as spiritual as I thought he was, right? Sometime later, I was reading the scriptures and I came across that verse that says, a wise man makes knowledge acceptable. And uh, that just struck me and convicted me because I was like, okay, I have something to do. I affect someone's ability to receive what I'm saying. Sometimes, yes, that someone's reacting poorly to me and my words because of something in them. But there are times when the reason they're reacting to my words is because I didn't use wisdom in the way that I communicated them. So I guess I'd love your wisdom on that. Yeah, I think it's both and, Stan. It's not either or. So as human beings, we do tend to get reactive when someone criticizes us or someone says something that maybe even we know we shouldn't be doing, you know, then that's just our nature. That's our flesh you know, protecting our ego and defending ourselves and we want to be right and we want to be righteous. So it takes a a moment for us to kind of get our feelings out of the way of defensiveness and and anger, perhaps, and get our spiritual self in alignment with our, our true self or who we want to be. And so it goes both ways so that we, as the speaker of those words, can help prime that pump by saying, you know, there's something I'm really concerned about. I want to talk with you about it. You know, I've seen something that's bothering me and I love you, brother. And all those primers that help them like brace themselves that, okay, now I've got to react in a 
good way because I know Stan loves me. I know he's saying this for my good. And, and those things help present that bad news. Just like when a doctor says you have cancer, if he just walks in and says, Ugh, you're going to die in six months, that's a horrible way to say it. Right. And it might be true, but he can come in and say, you know, I've just got some reports here and I know this is going to be hard to hear. And he says it softer and he slows it down and he gives you time to prepare yourself to receive it. It's much more palatable. It's still ugly and it's still hard, but it's much more acceptable to hear hard news or bad news or news that makes us feel like we've done something wrong or we've disappointed someone. I think those are really important that we prepare that. So it's both and we have to prepare ourselves to receive it and you can make that easier through that prep process. Leslie, we've talked a lot this morning about uh, the impact of our words on the other person, but there's an impact of our words on us as well, right? The one who's giving the word. So kind of what are your thoughts about that? What's the impact of our words on ourselves? We do a lot of that work with women that we work with here, because I think sometimes the worst enemy that we have, the most destructive person that we're in a relationship with is our own self, that we beat ourselves up for being human. And one way I tell people to pay attention to this is if you make a mistake or you do a sin that you know is something you shouldn't be doing, you ate too many cookies last night, or you did something far worse than that. And then the next day you're just beating yourself up like, what's wrong with you? You're such an idiot. Why did you say that? That was so dumb. Even after a radio interview, sometimes I'll get off and I'll say, oh my gosh, why did I say that? And why I said that is because I'm human. You know, we're, we're human. We, we can't be perfect. We're not going to do everything right or know everything the right way or say everything the right way all of the time. And if we can accept that and quit beating ourselves up for being human, move into repentance if we need to, move into self-correction if we need to, move into learning new ways of handling ourselves if we need to, those are all good ways of handling ourselves. But to just beat ourselves up because we're not perfect uh, is just detrimental to our own well-being. And it actually depletes our ability to do better in the future. So if I'm drawing a picture, for example, or I'm writing and I'm saying, oh, this is horrible and I can't write and what kind of writer am I? And I'm never going to say anything worthwhile. It actually starts to paralyze my ability to write. And so we hurt ourselves through our own negative talk and we hurt other people through our negative talk. Leslie, as we've talked this morning a lot about the words that we speak to others and uh, the impact they have, we can control the words that we speak to others the thing that we can't often control are the words that other people speak to us. So you find yourself in the crosshairs of someone who's kind of venting. We used the word earlier this morning, vomiting on you. What are some tips of, of dealing with the negative words that others might say to, to us? I think that's so, so important because if you find yourself, I'll call it overly attached to what people think about you, it's going to actually deform you. It's going to deform you and degrade you from the person you're supposed to be. The only people who have to care about who you are as a person is you and God, ultimately, you know, so that you have to live with yourself forever until you die. And, and God has created you to be the person he's created you to be. And so you're responsible to become that. But that doesn't mean that it's going to make everybody happy. I mean, even Jesus was called insane, demon-possessed out of your mind. Right. And people will say ugly things to you. That doesn't mean it's true. It doesn't mean that's who you are. It doesn't mean that you need to care about what they say. And so I think that's part of, especially for women to become a little bit more indifferent to what people say, as long as you're happy with what you're doing, as long as you're in alignment with who you believe God's calling you to do. For example, if you're, I was always a working woman and I was never just a housewife or a mom. I got a lot of negative feedback 
from that back in the 80s and 90s when everybody was homeschooling their children and to be a working Christian mom, like what's wrong with you? Don't you just feel fulfilled being a mom? I'm like, no, (laughs) (laughs) there are things inside of me to do. I didn't say that out loud, but there was a lot of criticism that came to me. And I'm like, God, am I supposed to be just home? Or I think you put other things inside of me to do. And I had to be indifferent to that because I knew what I was doing was in alignment with who God called me to be. And it didn't hurt my momming to do that and do it well and help my family actually. But that doesn't mean everybody approved of it or everybody thought it was right. I made certain decisions in my life that people disagreed with and told me so. So you have to decide if you're doing the right thing, even if they don't think you are. And you need to listen to people who are wise in your life because you could be wrong. And so it's both and it's being indifferent and not letting them rule you or the fear of man rule you. And the Bible says, let a righteous man strike me for it is a gift of kindness. And so when they say something, I always do press pause, even the sometimes the ugly trolls on the internet who say, she's just an ungodly woman who's leading women astray. And I'm like, Lord, is that true? And I usually get a no, it's not true, but I stop and pause and ask. And I think it's okay to ask that question without getting all sucked up into, why don't they like me? Leslie, one of the questions I love to ask people during this unprecedented time, it's an overused word, but it's so appropriate (laughs) because it is. What's something that God's spoken to you personally as you've navigated the last couple of years? You know, I think God has really spoken to my heart that I'm to be a spokesperson or speak up for the oppressed, for people who have been marginalized, mostly in my audience, that's Christian women. Um, But I have three granddaughters who are coming up and my daughter's Korean, my son-in-law is African-American. And so they're feeling a little of that marginalization in school and other places. And I don't want them to feel limited by the color of their skin, by their gender, God doesn't limit them. And I don't like that society or culture or the church limits people and says, oh, you're not qualified because of this. Um, And I don't think God says that. He's qualified us all to be ambassadors for Christ. He's qualified us all to be in his image. And people who try to squash others to keep power over them, whether it's in a country like we see right now in our culture, or whether it's in a church where certain groups squash others, I'm more than convinced that that breaks God's heart. And that is not what we're to do. And anytime I have a chance to speak out against it, I do. Well, Leslie, this has been so good this morning. Your words have been extremely helpful to us. Thank you so much for spending the morning with us today. Thanks for having me again. Appreciate you.